Welcome to Mill Liberty, the voice of liberty for a new generation. Alright, Joe Walsh, Matt Kitty, John Sasso, welcome to Mill Liberty. Thank you. Yeah, it's good to be back. Hey, Caleb, I mean this. It's great to be with you. Thank you for the invite. This week, we are going to be going over the myths and realities that surround monopolies. Teddy Roosevelt hated, hated small government. The gateway into space will help alleviate a lot of those problems. It was a fateful era we took 100 years ago with this kind of monopolization of banking and centralization of money and credit. Automation, streamlined productivity, and cost-effectiveness. There's two big government parties, and one of them is, is red and one of them is blue. We are creating a community of liberty lovers. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the ride. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to this week's edition of the Mid Liberty Podcast. I'm your host, Caleb Franz. This is the voice of liberty for a new generation. Thanks so much for tuning in and uh, being a part of the audience for this week. I hope you enjoy this program, and I hope you have enjoyed uh, many of the programs that we have put out over the past few weeks. Um, there have certainly been some really great guests from from subject matter experts to uh, uh, celebritarians uh, such as Justin Amash, uh, Congressman out of Michigan, who we had on a few weeks ago. Um, I was really happy with that interview. Justin was a really great guest. Last week we had Matthew LaRossiere uh, to talk about Second Amendment sanctuaries and how um, that's being tied into the national discourse currently because there's a lot of things going on right now in Virginia um, that anyone who cares about gun rights certainly needs to pay attention to um, and across the country as a whole. This week we're going to do something a little bit different. I have uh, wanted to shift a little bit more into a not necessarily like any sort of self-help program or anything like that, but I, I certainly want to become more practical in our approach and in the in the subject matter that we uh, touch on and that we go over in a way that you personally can apply uh, your life and and the things that you are doing or the things that you want to do I want uh, this program to be sort of a help and a guide for that as much as it possibly can some of that is going to come through education some of that is going to come through um, not necessarily training, but in in a similar vein to training, uh, going over some things that you may not have considered. And that's uh, sort of the gist of what I want to go over in this program. This week I have uh, a special guest on, Chloe Anajos. She's over at AIER. That's a great organization that um, I have a lot of respect for, and I certainly want to bring more people over on into the future. Um, She works in publishing over there, and she also has her own consultant firm, and and we're, we're trying to bring her on because, or not trying to, we have brought her on, because I want to have more episodes on entrepreneurship, on um, careers and the liberty movement and how to apply these ideas to your life um, so that way you're not just talking about the ideas of liberty 
you're not just uh, talking about the ideas of free markets and, and entrepreneurship and, and how um, people pursuing their own self-interest can, can lift up um, not only their own lives, but the lives around them. I don't want to just talk about those kind of things. I want to give you an opportunity to apply these ideas practically uh, and in a way that is fun, in a way that makes sense for you. Um, so that is exactly what we're going to be doing here on this program for at least this episode. We're still going to be having more episodes where we go into uh, historical context. Um, obviously, as you know, President's Day is coming up, so it depends on what kind of a guest um, I, I'm able to to solidify and secure for next week. But it is going to be somewhat centered around that day, which is my favorite day to hate <laughs> because of the cults of personality that has surrounded the presidency uh, since uh, probably since uh, about uh, Teddy Roosevelt, if not further back. Um, so we will definitely have something uh, centered around that day in particular, but um, there will be other shows, other shows on economics, other shows um, where we just have a guest on, and we just have a, a big important guest to to bring to the table um, as as sort of a treat for the audience. Uh, but this week is is going to be much more practical. This week's going to be much more hands-on, and I really hope you enjoy this episode. Um, I really enjoyed having Chloe on uh, on the program this week, and I really hope to have her back soon. Um, so without further ado, please enjoy my episode with Chloe Anginos on entrepreneurship and careers in the Liberty Movement. All right, Chloe, welcome to the Maliberty Podcast. I am thrilled to have you on board. It is good to have you here. Um, welcome aboard. Thank you so much for having me. So uh, before we get started here, I want um, you to allow uh, my audience the chance to know you and uh, to get to know you anyway. Um, so why don't we start by uh, just telling us a little bit about yourself and, and how you got involved in the Liberty Movement uh, in the first place. Sure. So my name is Chloe Nagnos. I am the publications manager for the American Institute for Economic Research. I am a digital marketer and I'm also a consultant. Um, and I, it's, it's kind of funny, but I got involved in the Liberty Movement because I was really upset about the uh, tax that was added to tanning. Um, almost 11 years ago, as, as silly as that sounds, um, I don't tan anymore because it's bad for you. But at the time <laughs> I was really, I was a very active, uh, participant in scholarship pageants. And part of that is making sure that you're not totally a ghost on stage. Right. Um, so I tan regularly. Um, and when that tax was added on in about two, 2008, 2009, I was just really frustrated um, felt that the government was just getting involved in something that I did almost every day. As bad as it sounds, it was almost every day. Is that a, um, and is I that was, a state thing or a federal thing? The at tax. the time, at the time, I think it was a federal thing. Wow! Because I remember, I remember the tanning salon that I went to said, "Like we understand that this is just another uh, syntax." Uh -huh. um, and that's when I got really curious about. Um, government overreach. And that's about the time that the Affordable uh, Care Act sure, was passed as sure. well. Um, and that impacted my family's small businesses. And I thought, you know what, this is just too much. Um, so that's kind of how I got involved. And it's really just um, evolved and escalated from there. 
Wow. Yeah. That's, um, that's, that's quite the story. I don't think I've, <laughs> I don't think I've, uh, had any, any coming of or, or coming of age Liberty movement coming of age stories like that, where, <laughs> where it's uh, spurred from a, from a, a syntax from a, a, a tanning salon, but that's definitely the first. Um, but you know, everyone has their own story and, I am just happy that uh, you know everyone finds their own way in, into the movement. So um, you do a lot of, as you mentioned, you do a lot of um, uh, consulting work, and and you work with individuals in in the publishing the publishing world as well as um, just a lot of entrepreneurial things. And that's really the the big thing that I wanted to bring you on here um, because a lot of times. I think that uh, libertarians are really good at, at coming up with ideas. Uh, they're really good at uh, talking about and theorizing, and and they can you know just talk about Hayek or or Mises and and all these different things all the live long day. But when it comes to the practical side of things, I think that's uh, a bit where we tend to to struggle uh, a lot. And um, I, I'm sure you've you've had some uh, experiences, whether uh, by yourself or with working people, where where you can sort of attest to that. Um, so I, I'm curious. What, in your opinion, is is the best uh, way to sort of not just get involved, but really, really uh, make your mark uh, in the liberty movement? Well, first, I think it's leading by example. Um, and I think that especially when it comes to small business or entrepreneurship, it's it's going in your community and it's creating jobs. So so often we have government that comes in and they say bureaucrats, the state, whomever they come in and they say, well, we're innovating, we're creating jobs, we're providing for people. Mm, you and I both know that that's not true. They're only innovating because they're taking money taxes from individuals and putting it back out into the community. With my business, with consulting and digital marketing, I'm actively finding clients, whether that's small businesses, whether it's um, mid-sized companies, nonprofits, whatever, I'm finding their pain point. I'm providing them a service. It's all consensual. I don't need the government to to come in and try to impose regulations or more taxes on me, but of course it's government, so they do. I'm providing that service. I'm providing that product, whatever it is that they get from me. Um, and then I'm then able, I've been able to grow so much in the last five years um, that I've been able to employ other people and provide a living um, and a life for other people too, um, so that they can earn a wage. Um, and so I think first it's leading by example saying government's not going to innovate, government's not going to create. So I'll go ahead and I'll do that myself. Um, and then second, I think it's volunteering um, and is Silly or cliche as that sounds, I do a lot of volunteer work. Um, I'm actively involved in um, m on multiple boards. Um, I'm the chairperson for the Indianapolis chapter of America's Future Foundation. I run a scholarship pageant through the Miss America organization, um, and I'm actually in a different part of Indiana serving as a judge for another scholarship organization. And tonight they asked me to be on the board, and I was like... <laughs> Uh, like I already do so much like, but yes, I'll help right. because I believe in what this organization does in providing money for young people in our community. So like, why not? Of course. Right. Um, and I think that if we want to be able to, you know, we have so many politicians right now, Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, who talk about, oh, well, we're going to forgive student loans and we're going to make sure people can get a quality education. 
well, not really. Like I'm actually myself, my board, my friends, my volunteers, my community members, we're actually doing that by raising scholarship dollars and then awarding it to people. So maybe you should check yourself before <laughs> you go out and make all of these big promises. But um, really in a roundabout way, it's it's getting involved um, and it's leading by example. And I've really found that if there's ever a pain point in my community, it can always be solved through voluntary action. So it's trying to raise and whether that's raising money or raising awareness, there's always a way that we can benefit our community. And I think that's um, two really easy ways that people can get involved in the liberty movement without just being talking heads. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, you know, this should be something that I, I feel like this should come natural to to a lot of us. Um, this, this is exactly what we preach. Um, this is exactly what... Uh, we're always talking about and and saying that you know the market finds finds its ways through individuals pursuing their own self interest, um, and yet when it come when push comes to shove, it, it's very rare that that individuals. Um, I, I wouldn't say very rare, because but you know, granted, I kind of live in a bubble, so <laughs> I interact with a lot of these kind of people. Um, so it's it's more rare than than it should be. I'll just say that. Um, to, to find individuals who are actually trying to apply these ideas to, to their actual day-to-day life, uh, practically speaking. Why do you think that is? Um, why, why do you think that not as many libertarians are trying to pursue um, more entrepreneurial um, activities in their, in their day-to-day life? Well, first off, I think a lot of it has to do with regulation from the state. Um, So, for example, um, in my business, I have had to hire an attorney, two accountants. Um, What else have I had to hire? Um, (laughs) Trying to think. I mean, like, I I don't want to, like, I'm not a lawyer. I'm not an accountant. I think I can do my own bookkeeping. But when tax season comes about, if I'm not 110% reporting what I brought in, what my what I'm paying my employees, I could get in really big trouble. Um, so that's one burden, um, one huge burden that I have to pay attention to. And a lot of small businesses can't afford to have an accountant on retainer or an attorney on retainer. Um, so that's something I really struggled with the first couple of years. And I did my own accounting. It was horrible and I hated it. Um, but I had to do what I needed to do. Mm -hmm. Um, I think the second thing, especially if you're looking at nonprofits and I did this with my scholarship organization, I went through all the hoops and paid all of the fees to make sure that we were a 501c3, um, and recognized tax exempt organization by the IRS. Um, I did that for one of two reasons. Um, one, because it's very easy to market a 501c3 and get donations when they're tax deductible. Um, and two, it's very hard to get donations for something like a scholarship pageant. Yes, we award a crown and a sash, and a lot of people still think that it's a beauty competition, but our program, we award more than $2,500 in scholarships every February. Um, so for us, it was kind of a necessary evil. And a lot of the other programs in the state that feed into Miss Indiana, where I'm from, um, they don't have the funds in order to file for 501c3 status. Um, And it's really frustrating because there's so many benefits that come along with it. There's so many businesses that will sponsor your lunches or who would love to give a $1,000 sponsorship or scholarship to your program. But if there isn't that government incentive, most of them don't want to do it. 
Um, so I think a lot of that stems from regulation, um, overregulation, and then just government burdens. Um, and like, for example, in order for us to apply for our 501c3 status, I had to pay $500 to the, to the IRS. We didn't have, we didn't have $500 to give. Right. Like we had to either raise that ourselves, or I think I put it on my credit card and then just paid myself back once we got more donations. But it was, and, and a lot of people don't, don't have that. Um, and then you look at other cases around the country where there's even just random groups of people or nonprofits getting together to feed the homeless. I remember writing an article for AIR about a group of people in Minnesota um, that were feeding the homeless and the cops said that they didn't have a permit to do that. So they poured bleach all over their donations. <laughs> yeah. You and know what? Like, I think I remember that. It's like, okay, so I want to do good, but the government won't let me. Um, so right. I think those are, those are like kind of some extreme, um, extreme reasons. I think too, it's also really easy to talk the talk and talk a really big game. Um, and I think humans, but humans by nature are, kind of lazy um, and want to outsource their good deeds or their works to other people. Um, and you aren't necessarily going to get folks who are super motivated to make a really big change in their community. Um, so I would think that if we didn't have as much regulation, it would be a lot easier for people who might want to help, but they don't necessarily know what to do. Um, just kind of get in the game and make that change themselves. Yeah, I can I can certainly attest to the the nonprofit side of things. Um, whenever, I mean, you know, whenever anyone uh, tries to start a nonprofit, it's not free. Um, and when I was starting the Liberty Initiative, I was I was sort of shocked and and uh, surprised by just how much of, of my own personal funds I would have to sort of uh, cash out <laughs> because because I didn't realize uh, how many things uh, the the state required me to just get the status, let alone um, try to utilize it in any meaningful way. So that's, that's definitely something that uh, should definitely be reformed in some capacity um, in order for, for some meaningful changes to, to happen. Um, do you think that more individuals, as as the liberty movement grows, do you think part of it's a, a growth issue? Um, as as more individuals come into the movement, that they'll become maybe more inspired, um, or do you think that those are sort of two separate things? Um, I think it might. I think it might be two two separate. I mean, when you get people who are inspired and motivated. Um, as long as they have some type of role model or mentor or someone that they're working with or for that they can look up to, I feel like they're going to be motivated to make that change. Um, but then I also look at younger generations and get a little concerned, um, <laughs> especially especially when I read articles that say, and I, again, I don't know like how accurate they are, um, but when I read articles about how Gen Z is the one, is the generation that's promoting cancel culture and is most likely to vote for a socialist candidate, that's when I get really concerned. Um, so, so my hope is that especially as this election year ramps up, continues on, whatever, I would hope that in the liberty movement we'd see more young people um, get involved. Um, but at the same time, get involved for what we know is right, and that's the liberty movement. Mm -hmm. Do you think that part of it's maybe some some disenfranchisement um, from this? I mean, the past really two election cycles, there haven't been 
real. I mean, yeah, Rand sort of uh, ran back in 2016, but it wasn't anywhere near as popular as like the Ron Paul movement of, of 2008 and 12. Um, do you think that figurehead, um, that that point of inspiration for a lot of people being essentially non-existent over the past uh, four years between 2016 and 2020, uh, being a, a big reason why so many people maybe not be coming into the liberty movement quite as much? You know, I would probably say yes. Um, and I wasn't really a Ron, I wasn't really a Ron Paul person. This is so silly, but I was a big Mitt Romney person yeah. back when I, back when I thought that Mitt Romney was like for Liberty. And I thought that sure. the Republican party was, you know, the way to go. And then was like, uh, this is not really right. Sure. Okay. I would say probably if we were, if I were to assign that kind of persona to someone in the Liberty movement today, I would say either Thomas Massey or Justin Amash. Yeah. Uh, and Amash, I would say more so just because he went from being a Republican to an independent. And it still seems like he has a ton of support in mm -hmm. his district. Um, I would love to see him, um, you know, maybe take on a bigger role um, in the next election, 2024. Oh my gosh. Um, but I don't really know who that person is in the libertarian party coming up. I, I haven't really been paying a lot of attention. I'm not really sure who the libertarian nominee is going to be. Um, as much as I really liked Gary Johnson, um, I just didn't really see that kind of spark. So it's I'm not hoping that inspiring guy. <laughs> no, I mean, I think, I think he's, you know, fine. I'd sure, love to spend sure. here with him or something, but it just, it wasn't really there. And I think you have to have the right personality, the right type of marketing, um, and go from there. And that's what Paul, Ron Paul definitely had. I think that's what Obama had and really capitalized it in social media. Um, but other than that, I mean, you could say that Trump had it too, but that was more, people, uh, you know, 20 years are senior. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, that, I think that's, that's a fair point. And we see that, you know, on, on the left right now with, um, with, with Bernie, uh, as well with, uh, having a lot of popularity, obviously right now in, in the election cycle, it's, it's very contested and you have, um, a lot of people trying to pull certain ways, uh, one way or another. Uh, but I don't think there's any, doubt in people's minds that that Bernie is the probably the most inspiring candidate for for his base and creates a truly energized base uh, similar I would I would argue in the way that that Ron Paul did for drastically different ideas um, yeah. <laughs> but but in 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 very superficial terms a, a very uh, similar capacity. Right. And I almost wonder if Bernie was a little bit more popular in 2016. Um, again, I haven't been paying a ton of attention to a lot of our Democratic candidates, mainly because I think most of them are just pretty crazy. Right. Um, but I, I would even say that Pete Buttigieg has been getting a lot of traction, too. Um, and from being from my home, I'm actually... I'm from Elkhart, which is right next to South Bend. So I knew who Mayor Pete was when he was running for mayor of South Bend, as crazy yeah. as it was. Um, but for someone to go from being the mayor of not even like a top 20 biggest city. It's not New York, not like a Rudy Giuliani sort of situation no. or anything. 
No, it's very, it's just very interesting. And I can, I can totally see the appeal um, for younger folks on the left. I think he's moderate enough on stage. I don't think he really is a moderate in a lot of his policy and like true leanings. Um, But I can definitely see why he would be appealing. Um, And I have a friend of mine, she, she says she's a libertarian. I don't really think she is. I mean, she's (laughs) kind of there, but it was funny. She put somewhere on Twitter that she donated like five dollars to the to the buddha judge campaign and i asked her i'm like like just out of curiosity like what's the appeal she was like well i just really like his marketing campaign and she herself is one of my like we work together she's a marketer and i'm like okay well you're voting for (laughs) a silly reason but if the marketing gets you then it gets you like it still got her to donate five dollars so who knows yeah well you know a good marketing campaign can can really take you a, a pretty far away even especially for for the common voter um, whereas that, that's not saying a whole lot for, for, uh, for the common voter, but, um, it, it definitely can take you a, a pretty far, uh, pretty far distance in, in presidential campaign cycles. Um, so I, I want to sort of shift gears over to, um, your work with AIER, uh, because I think this is a really great, really great organization that we haven't given nearly enough spotlight to, uh, quite yet, but I, I certainly hope to change that in the near future. Um, can you can you dive just a little bit deeper um, as we're starting to to uh, wind down into the the latter half of the program? Um, dive a little bit deeper into your work uh, there with with them and uh, so, sort of you know give us give us the gist there. Yeah, absolutely. So the American Institute for Economic Research was started in 1933 by our fantastic founder, E.C. Harwood. Um, And he actually started the institute in response to FDR's New Deal. Um, And he essentially said, you know, I don't like what the government's doing. I don't like the New Deal. Screw it. I'm going to create my own economic research um, think tank, essentially, we're going to publish these papers criticizing the New Deal. Um, we're going to have a small press and we're going to go from there. Well, twice in the 1930s, the government FTR's administration sent AIER letters that said, you need to cease your press right now because we, we don't like what you're doing. We don't like what you're putting out there. Um, and since then, um, AI, AIER has just expanded. Um, and Jeffrey Tucker, my boss actually wrote a really, um, thought provoking piece about, well, why would the government for a small printing press for at the time, what was a small printing press? What was a small organization? Like, why would they send like a cease and desist letter? Like, wouldn't you pay more attention to like a bigger organization? Um, and ultimately it's that ideas are what will change people's minds. Um, and that by getting information out there and into the hands of people that's backed by ec- economists, that's backed by fact, um, that you could really change uh, the the thought in the political tide. Um, and so that's something that just really kind of captivated me, um, just being a First Amendment free speech advocate. Um, and when I had the opportunity to join as the publications manager, um, I was just super thrilled. So uh, fast forward almost 100 years, and um, I am tasked, uh, along with Jeffrey Tucker and along with a lot of our fantastic authors and research, research staff, in bringing a lot of um, economic data and reporting that we did in the 30s, 40s, 
all the way up until the 70s, putting it back into print, and then publishing new works too. So we have a best of series that's out now. Um, you can buy it on Amazon on AIR.org. But we have the best of Mises. We have the best of Marx, shockingly. Um, the, the back of that for, for listeners is really funny. It's got quotes from uh, Stalin. It's got quotes <laughs> from, I mean, like, like yeah. Marx endorsed by Stalin and Mao and all of these other horrible historical figures. Um, so it's kind of, yeah, and <laughs> yeah, you know, they did some bad things, right, whatever. Right, um, right. And, <laughs> and then, um, we're actually going to have, hopefully in the next week, week and a half, we're going to have the best of, uh, Bastiat, um, oh, okay. published. Okay. Um, we're working on eventually getting best of Hayek, um, but just trying to get, um, solid essays and it's not, it, it doesn't mean that, we're only publishing, um, you know, select articles because or select essays, um, saying that you know this is this is an is an ends to their end to their work or anything. Um, but it's just compiling what we as a as an institute think is the best and that people should know. And then if they want to further study um, some of these really incredible thinkers, um, they can go ahead and do that. But what's different about us is that we're able to publish everything for a very low price, um, which is also really great. Uh, but to just get some of these thinkers into the hands of people who might be new to the Liberty movement, maybe have never read anything by Mises, want to read something by Hayek, um, eventually even from Jeffrey Tucker. Um, it's really amazing. And being a total nerd and a book lover, it's the perfect role for me. <laughs> I imagine. I'm really curious about uh, that, that, that story that you told is really fascinating to me. Um, how does, how does, how do individuals back in the 1930s, um, come across these ideas of, of, of liberty and in a free market system when virtually the entire world, now it's easy because you have the internet and you have all these, uh, free flowing ideas all over the place. Back then, I imagine that would have to be quite the, you, you'd have to have quite the intellectual fortitude to be able to even withstand uh, the amount of propaganda coming out of the government from that. Oh, absolutely. And what's really interesting is that Harwood exchanged letters with Keynes. Um, mm. and we have a book. It's not up Milton on the Keynes, right? <laughs> I'm sorry? I said not Milton no. Keynes, right? <laughs> no. Uh, no, not Milton Keynes. AOC. Oh my gosh, she's crazy. Right. <laughs> um, but they, they exchanged letters back and forth. And um, we published... Uh, those letters, those are up on um, Amazon and up on our website. Um, but we actually have what's called the Harwood Reader 2, which is a collection of all of the essays um, that he would refer to, economic um, essays. He also wrote a book, and he was a fantastic writer. He both wrote a book called um, uh, Useful Economics. Um, and studied economics too formally. So it, I totally agree with you. It's very interesting that especially in the 30s when we had we were approaching the New Deal, FDR was, I mean, just crazy um, and putting all of this propaganda out there, how there was this tiny little research institute in Western Massachusetts that said, mm, we're not going to conform with that. We're not going to endorse it. Here's what we have to say. Um, and ultimately, I, I do think that that's why the government got scared was because there was someone out there who was laying down the facts and said, no, we're not going to stand with this, uh, stand for this. And what's also really interesting, and we have the E.C. Harwood biography on our website, too, if anyone wants to read more about our 
fantastic founder. Um, but in one of his last acts before he died um, in 1980, he sent the IRS a box of his used underwear. <laughs> that's incredible. That's uh, it's quite the uh, quite the send off. Uh, you know, that's something to inspire to <laughs> aspire Absolutely. to. I um, wish I would have him. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I imagine. Um, well, Chloe, we are starting to uh, to wind down here on time, uh, but I do want to provide you with an opportunity to um, sort of plug away anything that that you wish. Uh, allow people to uh, get the chance to follow you uh, on social media as well as uh, the work that you do over at AIER, um, and then anything else that you see fit. Absolutely. Well, if folks want to go ahead and follow me, I'm most active on Twitter and Instagram. I'm just at Chloe and Agnos and Agnos with an A. Um, follow us on Google News, um, AIR.org. We are actually on Google News now, which is really neat. Um, but you can follow AIR on Twitter. Um, and then AIR, all of our uh, book catalog is on Amazon. Um, most of our, actually all of our eBooks, our Kindles on Amazon are only $5. They're very affordable. Um, so if folks want to check us out there, uh, learn more about our founder on AIR.org and through the books that we have um, on Amazon on our catalog, they're more than welcome to do that. But thank you so much for having me and getting to share what I do. I love it. I really appreciate you coming on. I really have enjoyed this, and uh, we'll definitely have to uh, make it happen again in the future. So thanks so much. Absolutely. And that's going to do it for us for this week's edition of the Liberty Podcast. Please be sure, if you haven't yet, uh, to go ahead and subscribe to us on iTunes, so that way you'll never miss an episode or an update. I want to thank Chloe for coming on. I really enjoyed her presence here on the program, uh, and I hope that she will join us again in the near future. So, with that being said, um, please be sure to follow me on Twitter, at Caleb Franz. You can follow the show on Twitter, at Milliberty. Follow the org, at Milliberty Org. Uh, you can check us out on Facebook at the Mill Liberty Initiative. Um, and then we are also on Patreon. Uh, there are some things I'm a little bit backlogged on Patreon currently at the moment, but there are some things coming through the pipes um, that I want you to be able to experience um, so that way you can unlock the next level of Liberty content here with the Mill Liberty uh, Initiative and the Mill Liberty Podcast. Um, so once again, thank you so much for tuning in and we'll be back next week.